And welcome back into episode 77 of the Sports Gospel Podcast here. Our weekly get-together, except for things got a little out of control last week, so we had to take the week off, but we're back for a double dose this week. Have Kevin and Shannon on with us. We're going to do a mostly football-focused show with a sprinkling of NASCAR here at the end. And then later in the week, going to have Andrew come on to do our big NBA preview show. He's been studying for the last week to get all of his NBA notes ready to go. So we'll get you two shows this week and then plan to have Austin on next week to do a big MLB playoff preview show. But speaking of the Major League Baseball season, the big news coming out as we're recording this, Aaron Judge hitting his 62nd home run, the American League home run record, and depending on your perspective, the all-time baseball home run record. We can debate that another day if we'd like to, but congratulations to Mr. Judge. The biggest story in baseball. Baseball needed a story like this to get some attention. It's tough to get any headlines here in peak NFL and college football season, but it's good for baseball, good for Aaron Judge. Seems like a pretty likable guy and built like a monster. So congratulations to him on number 62. That's very exciting. I don't care too much about it. Um I remember back in the nineties when McGuire and Sosa did their stuff. That was pretty, that was pretty exciting. I, I kind of wonder if it's just a, a moment of the time that we didn't have the fancy internet stuff back then. So you really had to be paying attention to the sports shows, news, whatever was on to know if they were hitting their home runs first. Now I'm getting alerts and stuff like that from all kinds of news organizations, sports outlets that, that happen. So don't need to watch it see it on my phone interesting then swipe it off but pretty pretty cool i guess in the grand scheme of things for for records home runs and baseball is about as good of a record as uh people care about in sports so um exciting for him fun to have that but um doesn't move the needle a whole lot with me and i i recognize it as quite an accomplishment and something that that very few people have ever done in the history of sports. Uh, one thing that it's done is it has gotten him paid. He's going to be able to pick his number and in, in free agency this winter, he'll, he'll pick his team and his number. And this just solidifies that. So a major accomplishment and it's, it's pretty cool to see him get it. I think, I think it's a great move and it'd be like an NFL running back going for 2,500 yards or quarterback throwing for what would it be like 60 touchdowns now. And despite the way he looks, by all accounts, we think Judge is clean or clean by Major League Baseball standards, despite the Greek god physique that he has. But he's only 30 years old, and hopefully nobody signs him to a 10-year Albert Pujols deal. But yeah, he's definitely going to get paid. Speaking of, Kevin, do you care more about the Albert Pujols 700 or Judge getting 62, or are you equally nonplussed by both of them? Um, I'd probably go with the Albert Pujols because you got you got to play for a long time at a high level to to get to where he is at. So I would, I'm more interested in that as an overall storyline. It's probably not as big, but I think that's a, a pretty nice accomplishment and pretty hard to, to pull off. And the, the only people that have more home runs in a season than Aaron judge are bonds. Bonds did it once. McGuire did it twice. And Sosa did it three times. And by all accounts, none of those men were free of steroids or HGH or a cocktail of the many. So quick, Quick for the, the McGuire and Sosa one. So we had, what was the year that the, the little chase and they first broke Roger 90, Maris's record? 97? Was the big 98? Year. And so then was it like 99, 2000? They had their other seasons. So it was like you had the big chase and everyone was really excited. And then like the next 
two, three years, whatever, they just kept doing it. And it wasn't, it wasn't such a big story anymore after that first time. Yeah. So 98, they did it back to back years. 98 was the big one. Everybody remembers. Then they did it again in 99, but they didn't break the record. So it doesn't get as much attention. And then Sosa did it once more in 2001. So 2001 was actually Sosa and Bonds. I don't think of those two having a chase with each other. And, and those guys are, that's, I've heard people say that Bonds was one of the best players they've ever seen before he was on the gas. The other two guys, they're like, yeah, they were power hitters, but definitely became a thing once they were juiced up because I look at Sosa here in a minute, but McGuire was, he had one huge season when he was younger and then he was kind of up and down. And then suddenly latter half of his career, he's been in the league 10 years. And then all of a sudden he's going 52, 58, 70, 65. Like, Oh yeah. You just randomly become way better at 30 years old. That's how sports work. How long was he in St. Louis before he set the record? Uh, uh, McGuire? McGuire. Yeah. So his best season before he came to St. Louis is he hit 52 with the A's in 96. And then his second year with, well, sorry. Yeah, his second year, basically, because he got traded from the A's to the Cardinals 97. So his second year with the Cardinals is when he went 70 and 65. Probably just got better food here in the Midwest that beefed them up compared to what he was getting on the West Coast. It's the steak and barbecue, pulled pork sandwiches. Is that it? And because you had Sosa wasn't – Sosa, we forget, allegedly apparently played with the Texas Rangers and then played for the White Sox and then went over to the Cubbies. And maybe there's something about that Midwest. The White Sox are also in Chicago. Thank you. Yep, yep. Just helping you out here in the sports show. He was, he's 20, 21, 22 years old. That's that's when it gets very suspicious when Sosa was not much of a home run hitter till he also hit 29 years old and then had his best years. Where did Sosa finish his career? Here's a fun trivia question for you guys. Milwaukee. Baltimore. Baltimore is almost the correct answer. Baltimore is where he went after the Cubs. And then I completely blocked this from my memory. He came back play one season with another AL team. You got me stumped. Texas Rangers in 2007, he came back and played a season with them. I, I barely remember him with Baltimore completely blocked out going to the Rangers. Do you think, and I feel like Mark McGuire should have some kind of documentary done on him that people would be really interested in that. Do you think he would change what he did for kind of everything that it gave him, the the fame and probably some good pay and endorsements in the time and kind of being part of that? And, you know, it seemed after it all came out, he, he kind of went pretty quiet and hid for a while. And eventually, is he still coaching? Up to, but... I don't know if he's still coaching or not. I don't think he'd take it back, though, to answer your question. No, I think he – I think – those guys knew what they were doing. They're like, strike while the iron's hot and get my money now. I'm going to make it. Plus, those guys had like, you know, McDonald's type endorsement deals. So it wasn't just on field money they were getting. But I think, yeah. It seems, it seems like he was definitely trying to shy away from that after, you know, people started really understanding that. But yeah, I don't think he would change it either if he could go back and talk to himself 25 years ago. I was trying to see if uh, baseball reference had career earnings, but they don't have that. Oh, there we go. Um, 
I'll take that as you were muted. College football I, or NFL? I Where couldn't do you want? hear you the first second there, so I'm not sure what you. Yeah, said. yeah, we don't. You, you were the muted one, not us. Cool. I'll ask for the fourth time: college football or the NFL? <laughs> college football. College football is the only thing that matters. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about both. We make it a lot longer on <laughs> college football then. Since you guys currently hate the NFL. Um, yes. So I have I have four questions teed up for you, and kind of some simple ones, but just to get the conversation going. Question one: Would you rather have the top three teams in college football or the field to be your champion? The top three: Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, to be the college football national champion this year. I'll give you those three or the field. Who you got? Top three. Also top three in any day. For reasons such as. I've seen Kevin. Right R2 tells me so. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to think. I feel like Michigan could give Ohio State a run for their money. And we've seen Georgia look really terrible one time. But. Even if they mess up one time and Georgia falls because they're sleeping, kind of go back to the Oregon game and it's time to come out and put their foot on the pedal. Like they're going to kill a lot of teams. Um, and when you kind of get down to the playoffs, like who, like what Clemson Clemson's going to score like what seven points against Georgia, maybe if they're lucky and they did play them close. Was it last year? They played last year at the beginning of the year. And it was close. I think that was the case. Um, but only because Georgia didn't score a lot. But I don't think Clemson's overall good enough. Um, Michigan, probably not. And then who else you have? No one from the Big 12, no one from the Pac-12 is at that level to hang with those teams. So that – Kevin just jumped all over like three of my questions there. So <laughs> let's – if if Georgia – if Georgia or Alabama, if we assume they both make the SEC title game and one loses, are they both still in the playoff? If they run the table until that point. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then if you've got your winner of Ohio State, Michigan, are we going to have two SECs and two Big Tens? Probably not. Um, and... I mean, you're assuming that Michigan is going to – Michigan's going to lose to Ohio State at the end of the year is what you're assuming, right? Or or vice versa. I don't think that one of those teams gets in without playing in the Big Ten title game. Okay, that's – And they both can't play in it. Right, and that's where I'm going. If Georgia and Alabama don't play each other in the regular season and they're in different divisions – so they would not meet until the conference title game, Michigan and Ohio State, you have odd man out. Is there any circumstance where you get two SECs or two Big Tens? Or is the rest of college football going to have a meltdown if that's the case? You get two SEC teams and a Big Ten team. And then it's if it's Clemson or if it is... Uh, I mean, maybe Oklahoma State if they could run the table. But I I don't see a one-loss Big Ten team getting in that doesn't play in the Big Ten. 
I could kind of see a one loss big 10 team getting in um, just because like in the big 12, no one's going undefeated in the big 12. Everyone's going to lose a game at least um, if not multiple games, same in the pack 12 Clemson Clemson's probably the big, the big if um, they don't seem good enough that no one could sneak up on them and beat them. Um, you know, they're better than everyone they're going to play, but they play what well, Florida state, Syracuse, Clemps or Louisville, Miami, Notre Dame. If they have one bad week, they could easily lose to any of those teams. Um, and so I think it'll be hard for them to go undefeated, even though they have the best team in their conference. Um, they, they probably proved that last week. Cause I think North Carolina state's the second best team. Um, and they played Lake Forest two weeks ago. Is that right? It yeah. was a overtime game. Um, so they've kind of dodged uh, the teams that are the trickiest, the Wake Forest offense and what North Carolina State from an overall good team. They got past those teams. Um, but if they lose, say they even lost twice or they lost really badly one game and Michigan looks really good and loses a close game to Ohio State, I could definitely see two Big Ten teams getting in. Um, now I don't think Michigan's just going to roll over Penn State and um, you know, even Michigan state's not good, but they've had their troubles with them as well. So I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think two big 10 teams will get in there, but I definitely could see it happening just because there's not elite teams in a lot of these other places that are going to stake a claim in the playoffs that they should be there with one loss. Well, let's kind of keep digging into that a little bit. I want to go conference by conference here and, see where things are stacking up and talk about some of your surprises. You're just there talking about Clemson who as much as we kind of hate to admit it year after year, they're the class of the ACC. Nobody's gotten close to them. And I think all the talent in the ACC is in the Atlantic division. Clemson and Wake Forest, I think are the two best teams. Maybe you can argue NC state should be in there. But I think those are the top two or sorry, all three of those, sorry, NC state weirdly is ranked down here, but NC state, Wake Forest, Clemson are all in the Atlantic. Louisville's middling Boston College is going to be at the bottom. The question is, do you buy Florida State or dare I say the 5-0 and Syracuse Orangemen being any type of contender for anything or are they going to end up going 7-5 and and play in the Papa John's Bowl? Yes and yes. I don't know if they can play each other in the Papa John's Bowl, but that might make sense. Um, Syracuse, is, I mean, the thing for them is they're just really improved from where they have been the last couple of years. Um, but you know, you kind of saw in the Purdue game, probably should have lost that game. Um, last week, barely win, you know, they're, they're barely beating teams that aren't great elite teams. So, um, they could easily lose to Clemson, Wake Forest, have to play Florida state, lose to them, North Carolina state, that division is where all the good teams are in the conference. So, um, seven and five, I think is still not crazy for Syracuse. Um, Wake Forest, they've already had that game with Clemson. It would have been huge for them if they could have won that. North Carolina State, same thing. Um, the other side, Miami, or Miami and Florida State, probably both similar. Um, solid teams, not not better in Clemson, but Florida State gets Clemson at home. If they can keep winning before that game, maybe, you know, college game day type thing, night game, um, stuff happens in those situations. So 
I doubt it's going to happen. Clemson is better, but I could see Florida State hanging tough. Now they might go and then lose three other games after they beat Clemson, but um, I could see them beating Clemson. The the thing that scares me about, about Clemson is if if DJ is going to choke in a big moment, and the, and they very well could just end up losing one game to to Florida State and and that being a problem. I don't know that Florida State's consistent enough to run the table and and get there. Um, yeah, Syracuse is a great story. They've had a great start to their season, but they're probably an eight and four team, and and a lot of schools take eight and four. Heck, we'd take eight and four as an Iowa State fan. So they're going to have a good season, but they're not going to con- they won't contend. Um, so I. While while I see Clemson coming out of the ACC, I also think it's very realistic that they trip up somewhere and and really make it interesting come deciding who that fourth playoff team is. So Dino Babers has not had a great run at Syracuse. Been there quite a long time, though, six or seven years, I feel like now. And he definitely somebody I would say is on the hot seat. They're 5-0 right now. They face a tough stretch. NC State, Clemson, Notre Dame in the next three weeks, and you still have Wake Forest on the horizon. Let's say they go seven and five, maybe eight and four to be optimistic. Does he save his job just based on this year, or did he have too big of a hole to climb out of? He saves his job. Um, the, the schedule is a lot of good teams on the schedule. Already beat a solid team in Purdue. Um, there'll be a couple ACC teams already. That's a big enough improvement that he gets to he gets to stay around seven and five. Even six and six might be enough to to keep that job. Anything less than that's that's probably it. But um, seven and five for sure stays. He recently revamped his coaching staff. I'm not sure if that was just this last off season or a couple ago, but he he was able to to redo his staff, and it's paying off for him now. So they'll definitely keep him around. The the only way they get rid of him is if he loses all the rest of the games this year, which is highly unlikely. Um, but starting off the way he has, there's there's a lot of positive momentum for that program. And and yeah, he was on the hot seat, but I certainly don't think he'll lose his job. Over that, that was last year. They revamped the staff, um, and it's probably kind of like what Scott Frost had this last year that. You get one more shot, but you need to make changes. And as you said, there a lot of a lot of people came and went um, from last season to this season to to kind of keep that one more year, and it's it's paying off so far. And over in the coastal division, everybody is terrible. I think is the consensus. Uh, I have no idea who's going to win that. You would think Miami was going to be the favorite coming into the season, but both of the Techs are terrible. Pitts way down. Virginia, who I thought was going to be good, is not good, but contending is awful. Then you have the tobacco road teams. Now I think Miami still has a chance to get this right. Their schedule is pretty soft, except for Florida state and Clemson. I know he's one of their own. It's his first year, but you lost to middle Tennessee state. Let's say Miami goes four and eight this year. Canes fans are crazy. Are they crazy enough to get rid of Mario Cristobal after one year? If it's a four and eight season. No. No. Okay. Never quite sure. All right. Alphabetically, next on the list, you've got the Big Ten. Basically talked about the East with Michigan and Ohio State. We forget that Penn State is also 5-0 and in there. Uh, when do these teams play each other? I think Penn State and Michigan is two weeks. Uh, so Penn State goes to Michigan uh, in two weeks. 
Then they host Ohio State Halloween weekend. Otherwise, it's a relatively soft schedule. You have Minnesota stretched in there. So Penn State's got three tough games, only one of them on the road, though. Maryland impressive at four and one. And then the bottom half is terrible. We see what Michigan State looks like without Kenneth Walker. But over in the West, uh, you guys hear a lot more about Big Ten football than I do, but Illinois is four and one and just beat Wisconsin and cost Paul Christ his job. I'm guessing losing to Brett Bielema as the Illinois coach doesn't feel that good. Purdue's up and down. Minnesota is a quiet four and one. We know about the troubles at Nebraska. Iowa seems very middle of the road and who knows what's going to be happening with Wisconsin now. But what do you make of the Big Ten specifically out West that looks like a crapshoot at this point? That's that's pretty much what it is. And I don't even know if anyone could honestly say they have a good idea of what might happen in the West. Um, Minnesota has had a, a couple injuries and they went and lost to Purdue, who is probably a pretty good team. You know, I was thinking Minnesota was going to win um, the West. And I, I think I'll stick with them for the time being, despite the loss to Purdue. Um, but Purdue's a solid team. They're, they lost a lot of star players in Purdue, um, but they seem like they filled in nicely to replace those guys. They had, you know, Charlie Jones making all kinds of action on the offense to replace David Bell. Um, you know, defense, I don't know if there's any standout players, but collectively they've been pretty solid. Still taking Minnesota just because I don't want to change my pick. Wisconsin has been trending down. I don't think they're going to be a factor at all. Um, and they'll be lucky to make a bowl game. Illinois is a pretty good team. Um, that that random Indiana loss has probably taken any um, action of talking about them on a national level or just even actually winning the Big Ten West out of the conversation. But you've seen what their coach has done in the Big Ten in the past. Lots of success. They've been growing um, kind of as a team the last couple of years since he's got there. Um, solid players, not great. They're not going to compete with Michigan or Ohio State, I would think. But they could definitely win the Big Ten West. Um, ultimately, it just comes down to who can be consistent. All these teams will have a bad game here or there, lose here or there. I think Minnesota's crossover games are a little bit easier um, than some of the other teams. Iowa has already lost to Michigan. They got Ohio State coming up. They lose to Illinois this week, then that's pretty much it for them. Um Nebraska is obviously terrible. Northwestern's terrible. Um, it'd be interesting to look at what Purdue has left on their schedule um, because now they got that they got the tiebreaker over Minnesota, so that's a big a big bonus for them. Um, you know, I know they have Iowa at home. Don't know about their Illinois and Wisconsin games, but um, I'm gonna go with Minnesota. But Purdue would probably be my second guess pick. You could watch Minnesota play for watch them play for like three series on offense. And it's really easy to convince yourself that they're good. Uh, their, their whole offensive line is just a bunch of road graders. Like they go forward as a pack, exactly how you would coach it and design it. And the running back, it's a four yard head start. Um, think what you want about PJ Fleck. I'm a huge fan of his. And I think Illinois is probably the team to compete more so than Purdue, just based on what Bielema can do. He's consistent. He wins in the Big Ten. And in I kind of figured we're a year away, but but I could be wrong on that. I think uh, he's shown that uh, with without that fluke loss to Indiana, they're they're right there. Um, 
but but Minnesota is my pick as well. And and it's just a matter of who's going to go get trounced by Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. Uh, but I'll I'll take Minnesota with my pick as Illinois as the uh, maybe the one to to make it if Minnesota doesn't. Ever since the Big Ten switched from legends and leaders that nobody understood to the East and West divisions in 2014, the East has won the Big Ten every single season. Can you name the three teams that have played in the Big Ten title game since it went to East and West? There have been one, two, Wisconsin, three. Iowa, Northwestern. Okay, that was a lot easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> You're welcome. Because it, it feels it feels like the Big Ten West has been okay. If you don't know, default to Wisconsin or Iowa. But I can't. Northwestern has played in two of the last four. Seems so weird. That's right. Elite program. Besides the one win seasons. Oh, up and yeah. The, does any team go from one to ten wins more regularly than Northwestern? No. Back and forth. And they have it's not. I'm awesome trying to see. Terrible. Okay, Wisconsin has been somewhat competitive, but it's been some ugly lopsided in favor of the East. So maybe the question should be, which team in the Big Ten would have the best shot at being competitive in the Big Ten championship game? doesn't mean they're going to make it, but if any of these teams were to play, who's it going to be? I th- Well, I'll go ahead. I have, I have two different thoughts on this, and again, you guys have watched way more Big Ten football than I have. I think you would have to put the Iowa defense up against the Ohio State or Michigan offenses. Or conversely, could Michigan or Ohio State stop Minnesota's rushing attack with Ibrahim, assuming he doesn't get hurt? Those would be the two questions I would have. I don't know enough about, obviously, Wisconsin's not there. I don't think Purdue's there. But. And I, 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 I do think it's Purdue. And here's why Aiden O'Connell's good quarterback. And we talked this summer about my two dark horse Heisman candidates, and he was one of them. So if, if you need one game and, and you're going to go 50 passes to keep up with the, the Michigan or Ohio state offense, Purdue's got to be the team to take. That would be my answer too. Um, And you kind of go back to last year and something very big for us, probably more news locally when Iowa was what top 10, I don't know how higher they were ranked when they played Purdue and Purdue whipped them. You know, it kind of became the storyline that that's, that's kind of what they do. That they play really good teams. I was number two when they played Iowa last year, being 24 to seven. Um, you know, a few years ago, beat Ohio State, ran them off the field. Last year, Michigan State was number three, beat them. Um, you know, Ohio State was number four when they played them. The game didn't end up being close, but they put up a lot of points against them. They moved the ball really well. They just couldn't stop them. Um, and that's, if you're playing Ohio State, I think that's that's who you need as a team that can score. Minnesota, Illinois probably are not going to get the points you need to win that type of game. Um, so Purdue would be who I think would have the best shot to actually win the game. They might still lose 35 to 53, but um, I think that's that's who you'd need from the West. So I'm I'm sticking with Minnesota because of the rushing attack and the offensive line play, but looking at the schedules – Iowa drew the short end of the straw this year. They had to host Michigan, and they go to Ohio State. uh, Purdue uh, doesn't have to play any of them. Purdue does not play Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State in the regular season. 
Minnesota does have to go to Penn State, but I think we're all pretty comfortable giving them the bronze. And then Illinois has to go to Michigan. So Purdue may have the easiest road to get there, but I think Minnesota would be the one who could hang out and get past Penn State. But you guys are all in on this Purdue team. I'm not picking them to win. I just think okay. they'd be better to uh, compete in the Big Ten Championship. I'm still going Minnesota. Yeah. Right, well, we will come back to the Big 12, save the best for last there. Uh, the Independents, BYU, I saw them play in person against Oregon, and they look terrible, but they seem to be better against everybody else. Liberty's quietly doing their thing. Notre Dame is terrible, and we all love it. Um, going down here to the Pacific 12 Conference, and it's a little bit of what I expected and a little bit of terrible. I still think USC is going to get tripped up. I think I watched them play against Oregon state and Oregon state had every opportunity in the world to seal the deal. It was very much coaching and execution versus just flat out talent. USC won with just flat out talent, but they look sloppy. They look lazy. They did not look as sharp as Oregon state. UCLA is right there five and zero, and this is the team I keep telling people to watch out for. I think chip Kelly's finally got, finally got it right there. The schedule is going to tighten up. You have Utah. If UCLA can take down Utah, and I believe it's Friday night this week. Is it Friday or is it Saturday? Um, but UCLA is going to get two prove-it games here in the next three. They have a week off in between, but they get Utah and Oregon, and then you get the cushy part of the schedule with Stanford and the two Arizona schools, and then you finish up with the Battle of Los Angeles and Cal. So watch out for UCLA. I like Oregon. I like Utah. The two Washington schools have been pleasant surprises. You have six schools here at the top that are 4-1 and one or better, Feels like the Pac-12 is really stretched out into six at the top, six at the bottom. Oregon State's kind of in the middle there, but Cal's not good. Stanford's not good. The two Arizona schools, we know what's going on there. And Colorado may be the worst Power 5 team in America. But a very fun race here coming down the stretch with these top six. I don't want to jump ship off UCLA, but it's a much tighter race than I expected. And I'm never going to count Utah as long as Whittingham is there. So USC, and not so much USC, but um, Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. People always wanted to run that storyline with them, that they are not good on the road. Last year, together, Lincoln Riley hasn't been very good on the road in general at Oklahoma. Um, And so a lot of people were were taking that when they did go to Corvallis a week or two ago now um, and saying, take Oregon State. And I believe they covered the spread in that game. Um, what was it? Six and a half, something like that. It was pretty close. There. Either way, it was, a, it was a close game. And so USC, with kind of that thought that they don't do as well on the road. They haven't done as well on the road. Their coach hasn't. Their quarterback hasn't. And they have to go to Utah. That kick, I believe, let's see, Salt Lake City is mountain time, right? So that's 6 p.m. That game will be starting. A night game at Utah. It's going to be a blackout game. I don't think USC is going to win that game. They're not going to go undefeated. Um, and then Utah is looking pretty good. I'd probably take them to be the top team. And you might get the USC-UCLA battle at the end to see who's that number two team. So that would be pretty exciting to see. Um, UCLA, they have a lot of potential. I don't know if they're always going to live up to that potential week in and week out. I don't see them being 10-2. and two. That's probably what I'll take them at, 10-2. and two. Um, but UCLA, USC, that last week will play to see who it makes into the, the conference championship game with Utah. I like that take. I I think it's interesting to picture Utah hosting hosting in that atmosphere um, with USC as well. So, the, Darren, your your season's kind of coming up Friday night here. 
and UCLA is getting four and a half points. So Utah favored here. Um, I don't hate your love for UCLA. I think that Chip's done a really nice job there. He's brought in some good players. They're fun to watch. He's done a really nice job. Um, I kind of wish that they were opposite USC and Utah just for this year because um, USC has all the talent and Utah has the best coach in the conference. And so to overcome both of those things, I don't know that it's going to happen for him. Um, I am going to stick with USC versus Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. I, I love what Oregon's doing um, right now, and and that's probably more not thinking with my head, but just going with my heart and how much I appreciate Bo Nix and what he brings to the field, probably more than sitting down and really figuring out who's good. So um, that's why that's why I'm sticking with the USC. Can I have Michael Penix on my Heisman finalist ballot? No. Transfers? No, you can't. But he has had a really nice season and does deserve some credit. Leads leads the nation in yards and yards per game. 16 touchdowns. The leader, some guy from UNC nobody's ever heard of, has 19. And then predictably, Mississippi State's quarterback both have 19. His numbers are right in there, if not better than C.J. Stroud's, and nobody expected Washington to do anything, and they're already four and one. And they beat my beloved UCLA last week. But he he gets Arizona State this week. He gets the Arizona lost State back to back UCLA when he threw his two interceptions. Yeah. Uh, but he gets gets Arizona State this week, so he could put up eight touchdown passes if he wants to. He might be able to this week, yeah. Which brings me to a point, um, and I would like one of you to expound on this. On other platforms, one of you has claimed that Arizona State is the best job available right now in college football. So we've got five Power 5 jobs open. What We have Wisconsin and Nebraska, Georgia Tech, uh, Arizona State. What's the fifth one that I'm forgetting? Wisconsin, Nebraska, Colorado. Colorado. Colorado, Arizona State, Georgia Tech, Wisconsin, Nebraska. Now, I contend Wisconsin is the best, but one of you feels very strongly that Arizona State is, if you had to pick a job, that's the one you'd want. Absolutely, and and I'll tell you why, and I don't expect you to change your mind, but I know that your listeners will based on my argument. So you're weighing out where you get to spend your off-season from January to spring ball, and it is hot. You're by the pool. The scenery based on the co-eds is a 10 out of 10. And for a 20-year-old, that's pretty dang important. Good, good You're thing. in a conference that you can easily win. What? Nothing. Carry on. Okay. You, you could easily win the conference because USC is leaving. So it's for the taking. It's there. So I'm going to go recruit some kids that want to play football, that want to win, that want to come hang out. And you can get anybody into college at all. Try getting, uh, try getting people into Stanford or Northwestern or Notre Dame. It's not happening. Go to Arizona State. You could get anybody into school there anybody so it really doesn't matter as long as you're as long as you can recruit 
and you hire the staff to coach them, that's the place to go. I'm not competing against Ohio State to win the Big Ten every year. I'm not competing against uh, Minnesota or Iowa for recruits. Um, those are established programs that have good coaches. And and then with Colorado, that thing is such a dumpster fire with nothing. And you're, you're not going to get anybody to come there. How Mel Tucker won when he was there. And it, I know it was a year. How he won there is, is truly amazing. I don't know how the hell he did that. But it's and, – and then we got Georgia Tech. Okay, we got Georgia Tech. You're down in the south. You're in a good conference. Um, that might even be my second place job over Wisconsin. I'm not going to, I want to think through that a little bit, but, uh, I've laid out some pretty clear reasons as to why Arizona state is the job that you are going to choose. If, if you can pick your. Now to, to play devil's advocate on this and some of this, you could blame on on Herm Edwards. But according to rivals, Arizona State's recruiting class last year was 59th. Their 2022 class is currently ranked 95th behind the likes of Southern Miss, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, San Jose State, Air Force, UAB, and Louisiana Tech. Did anyone think Herm Edwards would be big at recruiting? Which which person has no, been a former NFL did not. coach? that has become, gone to college has ever been good at recruiting. They don't want to recruit. They hate recruiting. They're not going to try. They're old. They're past the kind of time of connecting with people. Um, he built his staff, and this has been talked about in plenty of places. He's built the whole program to look more like an NFL program than a college program, which probably means he's not dedicating the right stuff to college uh, recruiters, You know, gearing towards high school, um, the other day I heard Mr. Uh, Mr. Clatt, Joel Clatt saying that every college should have three parts to their recruiting program. They need their high school recruiting, their transfer portal recruiting, and then they need a section, a person that's focused on recruiting the players currently on their team so they don't leave. And Arizona State was probably doing nothing close to that. Um, not at all selling. You know, they didn't have Herm Edwards on one of the, you know, out there dancing with the recruits and playing that on social media for them to be all excited about even though you know it looks silly it works um they need a i think they have a lot of potential they had todd graham before him who's also a horrible person to be around as a a coach running your program and getting the right people before that was dennis erickson who was who was probably decent but you know he was definitely at the end of his coaching career probably wasn't the best for recruiting um, and kind of the era they were at for recruiting. Um, and so they need someone that's completely different than where they have been. And if they make, like, like most schools, if they make the right hire, they're in a, a good spot to have a solid team for years to come. Um, and when you're talking about which is the better job, most likely people are probably going to go to which can have the better team where you got to get the better players, whatnot. But I think a lot of coaches will really start focusing on as we get into the new playoff system. Every big conference will have a seat at the table. The Pac-12 will, if it still exists. The Big 12 will. Arizona State's going to be in one of those two. And they're going to be there without USC, without UCLA, possibly without Oregon and Washington, without Texas, without Oklahoma. They just got beat the other teams who are very similar to them, and they're in the playoffs. 
not going to happen every year. It could happen once every six, seven years. That's a lot better situation than where they're at today. Wisconsin, pretty soon the Big Ten's not going to have divisions. So now Wisconsin's got to beat Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, USC, UCLA, maybe Oregon, Washington, Iowa, Illinois with Bielema, Michigan State. They got to top all those teams to sniff the playoffs. Probably not happening on a regular basis. So if if you want to work to win a conference, make the playoffs. Wisconsin is going to be a very tough spot. Nebraska is going to be a very tough spot to be highly successful. Now, if or Arizona State makes the playoffs, are they going to go and do a lot? Probably not. They're not going to probably be as good as a lot of the Big Ten teams. Wisconsin might have a better overall team just because of the resources they have pushing them. But I think I would rather be in Arizona State for a litany of reasons. I will be outvoted on this one. We're going to have to pick up the pace here. I didn't think we'd go so long. Uh, SEC, got to get these guys in here, the big dogs. We've talked about Georgia and Alabama going a little bit deeper into the conference. I could be wrong about this, but I feel like Shannon has a deep love for Tennessee, so he'll have to defend them. Kentucky, basically, are we trying to think, is there anybody here who's a real deal threat to Alabama or Georgia? Kentucky looks great. People love Will Levis. 4-1, and one, had their first loss last week. Rest of that conference or that division, not too great. Vanderbilt, South Carolina. I've been reading rivals here tonight, and apparently Missouri has a great recruiting class coming in, so watch them in a couple of years. But I think you have your top three there, and after one week, everybody fell in love with Anthony, Anthony Richardson, and look how quickly that dissipated at Florida. The West, I think, is the one a lot more wide open. I think you can make a case for five of these six teams right now, and that odd man out being Auburn. Nobody seems to like Auburn or the head coach, but we know about Alabama. Ole Miss hanging in there at 5-0, and everybody's favorite Lane Kiffin. Mike Leach at 4-1, and Mississippi State. LSU at 4-1, and Texas A&M at 3-2. and The Shines kind of come off them. Same with Arkansas. These were two of the top 10 teams. Everybody thought maybe they'll be the ones to take a shot at Alabama. I think all five of these teams, or uh, six of these teams are in contention right now. They're eventually going to beat each other up here in the ensuing weeks. But I think Ole Miss is the team that has the best shot at taking down Alabama in the West, but it'll be fun to watch all these teams take each other down in the next two months. I don't know if any of the teams in the West or the East are going to finish ahead of Alabama and Georgia, but you think of Tennessee, Ole Miss, you're saying Mississippi state LSU is a, a solid team. They're not great, but there's a lot of layman's Arkansas out there. There's a lot of places to trip up. Um, we've already seen that Alabama is not heads and shoulders above everybody else like they've been in the past texas a&m sucks they get alabama plays them at home if they lost to jimbo fisher getting his team all hyped up and everyone thinking they're terrible probably not the craziest thing in the world um you know georgia barely escaped by a bad team um those two are the best two but maybe they're not maybe they're not the best two there's a lot of good teams there and i I would be surprised if both those teams were undefeated going into the SEC championship game. I doubt that happens. You look at the conference and they're so much better top to bottom than, than any other conference. So Ole Miss might end up third in their division, but would boat race about anybody else. And that's just the nature of the SEC. I, I like Tennessee a lot and I was not a Josh Heupel fan 
I thought he inherited Scott Frost's program at UCF and then realized that it was Scott's players. So he jumped to Tennessee. Why I've changed my tune is, is he's hired really well. Alex Golish is his offensive coordinator. Look what Alex did at Iowa state with Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. And then as soon as he left, what happened to the Iowa state offense and look where the Tennessee offense is. And so I think that by Josh Heupel hiring a great offensive coordinator, it has allowed them to be competitive. And, and you go back 25 years to when Tennessee was the king of the sec. It's kind of cool to see them, see them um, playing really well. Alabama is going to be without Bryce young. And, and I don't know what his injury is, but I know he got hurt. Uh, I also know that Saban has been looking towards this game with A&M more than any other game all season, just because he kind of wants to shove it down Jimbo's throat. Uh, Jimbo is failing miserably at A&M, but they got to pay him like the next nine years. So they got to let him hang around for a couple more. Uh, and, and Mike Leach is always great. Even if his team goes seven and five, he's great to listen to. George is the, the king of their division. I really wish Missouri would have beat them last week just for the fun that would have ensued uh, with, with the sports talk around that. Uh, it's, it's hard to see anybody but Georgia and Alabama making it out of their divisions. But it's certainly fun to watch. Like the the SEC has a lot of fun games, and we'll see what Lane can pull out. I mean, he's he he's capable. He's a capable head coach, and he might knock somebody off. So it's it's Alabama and it's Georgia, but it is really fun to see all these other teams uh, kind of give them their best shot every week, and 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 maybe Ole Miss does get one at some. Alabama goes to Tennessee, I believe. So Alabama's at Tennessee in two weeks, and I think you have Alabama with Bryce Young and without Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young is surefire locked in first overall draft pick this year. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they're probably going to kill A&M. You don't want to get Saban fired up like that. But that trip to Tennessee, that's going to be a big one for Alabama. Uh, and then you get Mississippi State. Mike Leach is always interesting, but you have Road trips to Tennessee and to Ole Miss. Those are the two places. I could see that November 12th game, Ole Miss, Alabama, both of them heading into that unbeaten. Um, Georgia is the one. They are, I'm not kidding, they're at home for the next six weeks. They do not have to leave the state of Georgia till November 12th to play Mississippi State. And then they get, it's really, we'll see what shape Florida's in in a couple of weeks, but Auburn and Vanderbilt, and then Florida, Florida, Tennessee, back-to-back home games is a nice change of pace. And that Kentucky, I think Kentucky lost once, so we're kind of off them. But they could be, they could be somebody dangerous if they kind of ride this one out, and they only have one loss heading into that Georgia game. So here's what's going to happen: Kentucky's not all that good. Don't worry about them. Florida has a few talents, but they don't have a good enough overall team. Georgia is going to play Tennessee, East Division opponents so this will basically be for the division george will be all hyped up it's at home big game and they will win the game and they'll probably win by like two touchdowns and they'll be feeling really good about themselves pretty excited they got over that hump they're going to win the east doesn't matter what happens after that and then they got to go to mississippi state they're going to hear all those stupid cowbells ringing in their ears all all the whole time 
Mike Leach will be over there dressed half as a pirate because it was just after Halloween. So he won't have taken his costume off yet. <laughs> and they're going to lose to Mississippi State. And it's going to be like 17 to 13. Some just completely ugly game. It'll probably be raining. I feel like anytime I've ever watched a game at Mississippi State, it's raining. It just rains there a lot, I guess. I don't know. But it's going to be kind of a sloppy, ugly game coming off this high, going on the road to face Mike Leach. That's that's a recipe for disaster. So Georgia will lose that game. Still win the East, but they'll lose that game. You heard it first. I like it. Very clear details. Got my watch set. So before we finish this show with a chat on the Big 12, finish this sentence. The best team in the SEC that's not Alabama or Georgia is? Tennessee. Tennessee. I will go Ole Miss. I haven't actually watched a lot of Ole Miss to to really know what they're like outside, just kind of seeing box scores and stuff like that. But um, Lane Kiffin. I think I think Lane Kiffin's biggest problem is that Nick Saban would rather quit coaching football and move to Asia than lose to Lane Kiffin in a football <laughs> game. And so when they play each other, Alabama's going to beat them by like 75 points. That seems like what happens every year. They're like, oh, this would be an exciting game. There's that one year I think Lane Kiffin scored a bunch of points, but I think Nick Saban would – not that he dislikes Lane Kiffin like he dislikes Jimbo Fisher, but knowing what Lane Kiffin is going to say and tweet and do if they beat Alabama, he, he could not live with himself with that. So he will he'll make sure they beat Ole Miss into the ground. Problem is Ole Miss hasn't played anybody but Kentucky last week, so they needed that win. Now they get Vandy and Auburn, so still – getting things tweaked before they have to play A&M, Bama, Arkansas. He came out last week, Lane Kiffin did, complaining about the fans at Ole Miss, and it makes me wonder, is he laying the groundwork for his next job hop? Like, hey, I left because you guys don't support the program. I thought that was interesting for him to call them out. And maybe it was truly just to fill the stadium for the Kentucky game. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too far into it, but I thought that. That was a total Nick Saban comment, complaining about the fans when you haven't lost yet. Nick Saban does that all the time, complaining about their fans in late September, that they you know left because it was 56 to zero against Georgia Southern or something like that. Mad they didn't come to the game to begin with at 11 a.m. or noon, I guess, against some terrible FCS team or something like that. So that's that's like a Nick Saban move. So maybe that's uh, he's starting his real troll job just to do everything Nick Saban does and comments in the media. And to finish up this week's episode, we're already at our hour here and don't want to keep you guys too late into the night. We may not get to the NFL. I'll save some quick NFL chatter for Andrew. Uh, But the Big 12, your guys' favorite conference, the one that I feel confident in saying that you guys watch the most of, and the one that I dare say maybe the most absolutely wide open. To me, Oklahoma State has been the class of the conference this season coming into it. I expected them to win, really not by virtue of them being all that special, but because I think Oklahoma was going to be down, and now we see just how far down they are after TCU walloped them. But the Big 12, I think you make a case for – eight different teams winning this thing. Everybody who's not named Iowa state or West Virginia. 
uh, at the top here, Oklahoma State, TCU, both 4-0. And we all have to breathe a deep breath. Kansas is 5-0, beat Iowa State based on the worst field goal kicking you've ever seen. And then K-State. I If it wasn't going to be Oklahoma State, K-State was kind of my sleeper team. They're there at 4-1. I think we've seen Baylor was way overranked, did not deserve to be in or near the top 10 the way they were. Texas Tech, they're always going to be in the middle. Texas, after not beating Alabama, had they beat Alabama, we may be talking about them in a whole different light, but blowing that game, they kind of feel down. Iowa State's not good. West Virginia's bad. And then Oklahoma, welcome to the middle of the pack after that thrashing TCU gave you. But you guys live and breathe Big 12 football. So what have you seen so far? Who are are we buying? Are we really in on this Kansas bandwagon? No. (laughs) They are... They have a really good scheme going for them. They have a few pretty good players and a really good scheme. Um, they're going to run into enough teams and coaches that are pretty good, though, to com- combat that and slow them down. Um, and their defense will cost them. Now, Iowa State did not take advantage of that at all, and they just sucked more and lost. Um, but, you know, a team like Oklahoma State that does have an offense, has a highly experienced quarterback, has a really good coach, um, have some other playmakers on offense. They're they're going to put up points um, against Kansas TCU. Um, and I was kind of probably sleeping on them early until last week. I thought, OK, they're OK. They haven't played anyone too much. They got that SMU win, which is probably a big deal for them. Um, but now you might have to start thinking about TCU a lot more. They won the top two teams. Kansas State, I'm not fully sold on them. They're really a, a two-person show. Um, and if one of those two people will get hurt, that's the problem. They're running the ball. Um, I don't know if there's any elite defenses in the Big 12 that are going to really stop them from running the ball. Um, but, you know, a team like Texas has a pretty solid defensive line. And if they can own the ground against Kansas State, they're probably going to beat them. They did that last year. Texas was failing miserably losing, 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 losing at the end of the year, and then they beat Kansas State because they were able to control Kansas State's offensive line. Kansas State couldn't do what they specialize in. Now, they didn't have Adrian Martinez, but still, um, they're probably just not enough weapons on that team to really compete. Oklahoma State, switching from in the past, their defense, not as good, but their offense is pretty good. I, I would probably take Oklahoma State, but I'm very intrigued by TCU and what they do going forward. I would take them to beat Kansas pretty easily this week. Yeah, Kansas has been fun, but they're gonna they're gonna run into some competition that will beat them. We've seen the, the Iowa State should have beat them, and Iowa State's not very good, and so uh, their luck will run out. K State is who I I said on your show was was my hope, and and I thought they could do it with Oklahoma State as well. Uh, TCU has been a fun surprise. Why it's been a surprise is it's Sonny Dyke's first year as the head coach. Sonny's been great everywhere he's been. Started at Louisiana Tech, went to Cal. Cal fired him because 500 wasn't good enough. Went to SMU and built them up into a really nice program. So it's it's interesting, but it's good for TCU. So you say that there's eight teams. I find it really hard to believe that it'll be, I'll say, four teams. K-State, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and TCU being those four um, that really have a chance to win it. I'm not counting Baylor out yet, but one more loss will knock them out. 
can I have Adrian Martinez on my Heisman finalist ballot? Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. Yep, he's allowed. <laughs> the quarterback carousel sends him from Nebraska to K-State, and he's been great this year. I'm assuming he was part of your K-State two-man show with Deuce Vaughn. Yep. I think we asked this at the beginning of the year. Deuce Vaughn or Bijan Robinson, who would you rather have on your team as a college running back? Deuce Vaughn. Give me him all day. I'd probably take him in college. And things are going to get very real for Kansas starting this week, like you guys mentioned. Get TCU at home, and and Max Duggan is a feel-good story guy from Iowa who we all kind of paid attention to and kind of wish he was at Iowa State right now, the way things are going, but struggled his first couple of years there, had a, a health emergency situation, he had to get rectified, now he's been the most efficient passer in college football, and you guys think he's not even going to keep his job. But uh, getting back to Kansas, they have to play TCU this week, back-to-back trips to Oklahoma and Baylor, and then you get Okie State at home. So that 5-0 and could become 5-4 and very, very quickly. Max Duggan, I saw him in person last year, and I mean, he's played Iowa State a number of times, and it's always the same that he's, he's, well, the TCU was not very good last year. Um, it was pretty much a one man show on offense with him, and it was a lot of him scrambling. And he is extremely frustrating to play against because it is really hard to keep him contained. And even if nobody's open, he's going to run eight, nine, 10 yards for a first down on third down a lot. Um, and as you saw last week, he, he can make bigger plays than that and he can throw the ball. So um, he's a really frustrating guy to play against. If they have weapons to go with that, plus what's probably a pretty good offensive scheme this year compared to the offensive schemes they've had prior to this season, um, it could TCU's offense can be a real problem for people. I don't know what they have exactly on defense to, to match with that, but uh, if they put up 35 plus points every week, they're probably going to win a lot of those games with what everyone else in the Big 12 has. So to put a bow on our Big 12 talk, if you had to pick today, your Big 12 championship game is between Oklahoma State and TCU. I'm staying with Oklahoma State and Kansas State. I will go with you on that. Okie State and K-State. But Oklahoma State will inexplicably lose a stupid game somewhere because they're Oklahoma State and that's what they do. Yeah, they'll, it's they'll their favorite West hobby. Virginia or something like that. <laughs> Texas Tech. Maybe they yeah. lose the Texas Tech at home. As, like as is Mike Gundy's tradition. Um, so just to uh, finish up college football here, this Big 12, big week for the Red River, Red River rivalry. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma, however, down they are. It's still a fun game between the two of them. Looking at the rest of the schedule, Arkansas-Mississippi State's a decent matchup. TCU, Kansas, they're hosting game day, correct? Yeah. As inexplicable as that is. Uh, Tennessee, LSU, so you have a good early slate of games. Um, Utah, UCLA we talked about, I would say, is the next big one. This is big that I'm... I think those are kind of the main games to, to keep an eye on. So good early slate of games, so get out of bed, go watch it, and then... If you need to take an afternoon nap, wake up and watch Alabama completely destroy Texas A&M. It'll be fun. All right. Do we need to discuss anything NFL? We're back to the Bills and the Vikings in the Super Bowl, so that's exciting. <laughs> All right. Here's a, a quick one question. The top four teams in the NFL who I would say are the Bills, Chiefs, Eagles, Packers, or the field? 
tie it into our college question? Uh, I mean, you should probably be smarter to take the field when it comes to NFL, but it's it's hard to say that with with those teams. Um, my only apprehension would be the 49ers look really good if Jimmy G doesn't screw stuff up. I'm going to give the field just because of how early we are into the season and the NFL gets really wacky in December. And then to put a bow on this week's episode, uh, whichever one of you would like to explain to us what's going on in the NASCAR season, we are into playoff time. Uh, As I'm reading, I believe there are four races left until the championship race. Kevin, I noticed you didn't jump on that one first, yeah, I'll let you so take this one I'll first. take a crack at it. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Yeah, it, uh, what's kind of fun with this is we we hit the playoff time, and then the first three races were won by guys that aren't even in the chase for the championship. Uh, that That hasn't happened before. So it was just kind of a wacky start to the playoffs. The Roval is kind of cool. It's at Charlotte this week. They go to Vegas next week, look for a Bush brother to win the Vegas race. Homestead, Miami, that's that's where they follow each other around. Fastest car wins, probably Chase Elliott or Kyle Larson. And then uh, the second to last race is at Martinsville. That is. Man, Shannon's golden moment on the show and his audio cuts out. That's still alive is going to wreck each other to get into the finals. Then the week after that is, is the last race. So right now there's 12 guys still alive after this weekend, after Sunday, they will be down to eight guys and then they will get to the final four going into Phoenix. So they'll eliminate four guys. Then they'll, of the final eight, they'll get that down to the final four. I find it, like, like we've got six guys that probably are legitimately in the running for the title. And Chase Elliott's currently leading the points. Uh, his best friend, Ryan Blaney, is second. Uh, they've, they've grown up together. They're great. I, I'm happy with either one of those guys winning. The fun story of the year has been Ross Chastain in the new team. Uh, both of those guys are in the chase. Ross is, is an option to win it. We've got Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano, and then Kyle Larson last year's champ. I can't imagine it being anybody outside of those six. And, and really it's down to the top four. I think Logano and Larson are those wild cards that could make a run at it. So you're, you're looking at chase Elliott with another title, Ryan Blaney, trying to get his first one. Uh, the guy from nowhere and Ross Chastain and then Danny Hamlin just hanging around. I would imagine those are our final four. Um, I'm a, I'm a big Chase Elliott fan, but if Ryan Blaney wins it, I'm going to cheer, cheer excitedly for that. So we've just got a few weeks left. Keep your, keep your ear to the ground on that. Uh, watch the Martinsville race on October 30th before you take your kids trick or treating. If they do it on that night or trunk or treating or whatever it is on that day. Uh, just pay attention to that. If it's Chase Elliott or Ryan Blaney, we're going to have some fun. We're going to cheer for Ross Chastain as well. So that's the update on NASCAR. Every time that Shannon gives an update on the playoffs, it reminds me of one of the, the best scenes in cinema history, probably a top five cinema history scene. 
That's from basketball when Dan Patrick is going over the playoff system for basketball <laughs> and he's got the chart behind him. And I don't remember who the other ESPN person from the day. That Kenny, was, Main? Uh, Kenny Main. Sorry, Kenny Main. Okay. It's Kenny Main. Oh, Kenny Main does the talking. Is, is Kenny Main the one who does the talking this scene? I don't remember. Either way, but they're out there and they're kind of pointing over what the, the brackets and the playoff system is like. And that, that reminds me a little bit of what NASCAR playoff sounds like. But. Race, racing was too simple. They had to make it unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. But And to clarify, there are still like 40 cars or whatever. Just only four of them matter. Yeah, I always think that's interesting that uh, you know that when they started the playoffs and golf started their playoffs, I think in somewhat similar times, it was kind of a similar idea of that these two groups didn't really ever have playoffs and no one cared about the playoffs. And there are certain races or tournaments that people cared more about. They were just in the middle of the season. They tried to make these playoffs, but in golf, you have less people in the field, which, which you can kind of do. I'm sure if there's just eight guys racing around a track for four hours, people might not be as very interested in that. So it's kind of hard to, to trim the field actually in, in NASCAR like that, but it works okay in golf. So, is Austin Cindric only in this because he won the 500? Yes, he is. He had an awful season, but he won one race, and that's why he made it. Which, good job, NASCAR. Um, but I see that I can get him for like plus 7,000 to win the whole thing and get a couple of these guys for plus 5,000. So, Darren, if, if you want to connect NASCAR to football for lots of people listening to you, the, the millions of people listening to you, Austin Sindrick, you can say he's similar to the AFC South division winner, but they get to be in the playoffs. They shouldn't be, probably, but they will be in the playoffs. And it means nothing. It means nothing, but they get to participate in the playoffs. So I'm trying to think of a good comparison. like Other than Chase Elliott, Nobody's won a lot of races like Tyler Reddick won three races this year, had 13 top tens and doesn't matter. But Austin Sindrick had one win and does matter. Well, that that's not true. Tyler Reddick matters. He just didn't do enough. Like Austin won one and got in. They both aren't going to make the top 12, but Tyler Reddick has something to show for it. I, I, I don't know. I think Tyler Reddick had a nice season. And you've got some good names in there. You've got Chase Elliott. You've got Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano, Kyle Larson, some names people know. When you see he's on the outside, Kyle Busch is out. Kevin Harvick's out. Martin Truex is out. Bubba Wallace is out. Brad Keselowski's basically a skeleton driving around. Now Kurt Busch is out. Kind of the names you know. Nobody's really in there. It's new guys. It's good for the sport. Bringing in new New fans for these drivers. I mean, look at Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez. Like, um, they're going to bring new drivers in based on their success with starting with nothing as a team. Anything else we need to dip our toes into? So you, you're basically telling us Chase Elliott's going to win again, back to back champ. Yes, it is. It not is back to back. He's he's not back to back, but he'd win his second one. Who won Kyle Larson year? won it last yeah, year. I thought it was the other way around. But your top four drivers right now are four different teams. That's fun. Yeah, that is fun. It's great for the sport to have that parity. All right. Anything else we need to discuss tonight? Nope. Well, thank you all for joining us on episode 77. We're going to drop episode 77 and 78 basically back to back here. 
So thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week. We're going to talk a current plans, talk a lot more Major League Baseball, get ready for the postseason, and see where we're at in college football and the NFL. See you next time. Thank you.